0: To the Checker to Green podcast with your hosts David Maudie and Elliot Tardif.
1: Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whenever and wherever you're listening to this. This is from Checker to Green, the podcast all about racing, as told by three lifelong racing fans, and from time to time, talking about the business aspects of racing, the green it takes to take the green. Welcome, everyone, to episode number twenty, the big two zero. I am Elliot Tardiff, alongside my colleagues David Maudie and Ryan Kolpak, gentlemen. Welcome.
2: Good evening.
1: Good evening, guys. So oh, we've
2: had. Oh, oh, go ahead. No, continue.
1: So we've had a. Um, a rather wet week down here in North Carolina, um, which has actually been a, uh, a very welcome development. We had had a drought that was, uh, growing in size and severity across, uh, much of the Carolinas actually. So, um, uh, very good to, to finally get some rain here and, um, get some, uh, some lawns greened up again, ours, ours, included. And, um, also good to get the grass, uh, Uh, growing again too we have a lot of rabbits in our neighborhood and uh, they love to come out in the evening and morning and uh, uh, treat themselves to an all-you-can-eat buffet
2: it's been nice up here in um in central new york we we had some rain this past week which was good you know i had did some garden work um, on memorial day had a really good memorial day um you know, got to go fishing with um, one of you know, with my oldest, and and you know she caught her first fish, so very pleased about that. But definitely looking forward tomorrow because I get to see our producer Ryan unite tomorrow. Get to hit um, eighteen holes.
0: I'm absolutely looking forward to that. And as far as, you know, meteorology goes, it's been a pretty similar story here in Buffalo, New York. A uh, few days of rain this past week, nothing over the top, but enough to keep all the freshly made up gardens I'm very very happy. And next week, next week summer's making its appearance in full force because around here there's a couple of days we're looking at pushing 90 degrees. So, welcome
2: summer. Indeed.
1: Very cool. Well, speaking of welcoming summer, um, we had a couple of racing events here this last weekend that uh, signify the the beginning of summertime. Um, it was the Sunday before Memorial Day, and that means one, well, two things, and two things only. It was the Indy 500 and the Coca-Cola 600, two of the crown jewels of North American motorsports. So, gentlemen, let's dive right into it, and let's talk first about the greatest spectacle in racing, the Indy 500, and the, who won, who surprised, who disappointed, and what the big takeaways were. And David, that is your specialty, so please take it away.
2: Well, yeah, the, the, great Amer- or the greatest spectacle in motorsports, having fans since 2019, they didn't have fans last year. It was ran in August. This year, they had fans, and they put on a show, and surprise, surprise, history has been made at Indy. Helio Castroneves joins the four-time club. He collected his fourth Indy 500. Great racing throughout. Alex Pelot was second. Simon Pagino was third, and some before I go through some nobles it was a truly fascinating race there were only two cautions uh one for when um Stefan Wilson um came into the pits I'll have a little bit more on that and Graham Ray Hall coming out of the pits crashing but great racing lots of leader changes throughout changes in the point standings because it's double points and Gentlemen, I will say this with Indy, there is the expect the unexpected. Um Helio Castroneves, probably we, we said in our last podcast we all did not have a have him as a favorite to win this race. We didn't think he was going to win. Um he won. And the and the reason he won was for Stefan Wilson's crash. And what had happened at lap um lap 34 when he came to the pit. And this was a story all day of cars coming to the pit was their pedals, their brake pedals went straight to the floor and they couldn't stop in time. Stefan Wilson crashed. Um, At that time, Scott Dixon was leading. He had to come in for emergency fuel, runs out of fuel, stalls the engine, vapor locks it because essentially it overheats, takes him a while to to start it up. He loses a lap. The same thing happens to Alexander Rossi. He loses a lap, and right at that point, two of the clear favorites were already Behind the eight ball in that, and that led up to a show between a great bail between Palou and Castro Nevis. Graham Rahal was doing decent, was doing well. He led when he came into the pits, um, and then at one nineteen, um, what happened when he came out of the pits was they did not get the lug nut on correctly on the left rear, and he just lost. Lost the wheel going into two and crashed it, ended his day. Um, Ray Hall, having in the past three years, two of them have ended up in crashes one in 2019 and this year. But great racing. Um, other nobles who would lock up in the pits, uh, willpower, Simona Di Silvestro. Um, she actually ended up finishing 31st. Um, that day um, Some other nobles Rees VK was 8th Juan Pablo Montoya ninth. TK Tony Canaan was 10th uh, Last year's winner Takuma Sato was 14th Scott Dixon Finished 17th he did get his lap Back but just didn't have enough in the end Marco Andre was 19th um, Scott McLaughlin was 20th The uh, Alexander Rossi, 29th. So, um, um well, Dee actually went on at lap 169 when she actually crashed in the pits, too. Um, she had lost a wheel because of that brake lockup, but the victory celebration went on forever. It took almost 10 minutes for Helio to get in there. He did his traditional Spider Man climb the fence it looked like 1998 Daytona 500 everyone was congratulating him and yeah it was an amazing race before I give my thoughts on it gentlemen tell me what you thought
1: this was the perfect race at the perfect time for IndyCar um it was um It was an exceptional race it was uh there was a lot of action a lot of passing a lot of strategy um people coming in at at different times and how is that all going to work out um you know an early twist with um scott dixon and alexander rossi getting caught a lap down um and you know the pre-race favorite now no longer being in contention it was wide open and you had different people taking different turns um, leading the race. My pick, uh, Renus VK, he had himself a solid race. He led for 32 laps, according to racing Um, and it seemed like the, it, it almost had kind of, a um, a Daytona type feel to it. Like you had a pack of cars that were all relatively close together. Um, and it took a lot to kind of lose that pack. Um, but it, at the same time, it was it, it kind of seemed like um, you know you could pass somebody, but then they would turn around and pass you back if you weren't careful. Um, so you had to really be, um, mind your momentum. But with all that said, um, having Helio Castroneves pounding through lap cars at the end and holding off Palo, um, who was right there and was um, you know, but for. Uh, getting a little tight off a of turn two uh, could have made a run, could have made that very interesting. Um, but uh, Castro Neves with Meyer Shank Racing, who quite frankly I did not see um, doing well, um, or at the very least contending for the, uh, for the win, um, taking his fourth Indy 500 and joining a very select company. Um, and doing, in doing so in front of a packed house, um, at least capacity wise, 135,000 people were there, not one fan, I think left disappointed. Um, and not only that, um, having that many people having the spectacle back, um, you know, the real spectacle of, of Indy and the 500, it brought a lot of eyeballs to it. Uh, there were, according to SportsProMedia.com. um, Uh, And an article by Ed Dixon, um, they uh, drew a rating of 5.58 million viewers on NBC. Um, And it was the best audience for NBC since it took over the rights for the race in 2019. Um, Additionally, according to this article, there was a 51% increase in the ratings from 2020. Um, So you think about... um, what this means for IndyCar, what this means for Castroneves, the 500, and everything that Roger Penske has been building towards. Um, it, it, uh, it all fell into place in a really special way on Sunday. Ryan, your thoughts? For the first
0: race since 2019, where the Indy 500 got to have spectators in the stands, that was the race that we are all very much hoping that we would get to see, but we're cautious to think, will it be that good? Turns out, Oh, it was that good. And just some of the finest display in IndyCar that I've seen in quite some time, as far as driver efficiency technique and Helio Castro Nevis's stone cold nerves in that last lap to win the duel against Alex Palou to win the Indy 500. Now, In the previous couple of episodes where we were talking about the buildup to the Indy 500, we may have been a touch critical about where we felt Helio would finish in that race. And now in the off chance you ever hear this, sir, Helio Castroneves, please accept our sincerest apologies for doubting you well done on a well earned victory, sir. It, It definitely
2: was a great victory for him and I agree Ryan I just it's I I didn't think he could I thought you know I I was there in 2019 I I was there at the Indy 500 in 2019 I sat in turn three I was there when that wreck between Sebastian Bourdais and Graham Real happened and and that changed the race because at that point Pagano you know, kept short pitting, short pitting, short pitting. He wasn't, he he just wasn't getting the fuel mileage, and it clicked for that short run in the end. If it wasn't for a red flag or that wreck, I think Rossi takes twenty nineteen, and and that was a thrilling race. This year, or this year, it was wow, like lead changes. I will, I will tell you. I'm looking at the records that they set, and it definitely lived up to it. It even drew, Elliot, you talked about the TV audience. I saw this week on Twitter that it topped the Daytona 500 viewing audience, Mm -hmm. which is huge for IndyCar. Um, It was, you know, to get fans back, this is what they needed. This is what they needed, and in, I agree. IndyCar put up, you know, it it literally was put up or shut up, and they put up this time. They mm-hmm. definitely put up, and the the records they tied. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this. So, they set the fastest race, which was last time in 2013. Before that was 1990. Um, t- 20 years between victories, Helio Castro breaks that record Juan Pablo had the beforehand. The 06 car is the first time it ever won. Donald Davidson, I bl- you know, bless his heart, I know he retired, but he must be like, just you know, this is the year that all the records get broken. He retires, and this is the year they set all these records. Two cautions, the fewest caution periods. Twenty nineteen, they had four, which I was there. Um, Caution laps eighteen, most times run at the finish. Castro Nevis with nineteen, he breaks the tie with Foyt and Unser. Most cars at the finish thirty, previous record was twenty six. 22 on the lead lap. That breaks the record 20. Most laps by the complete field, 6,308. And Scott Dixon led this race, even though with his woes, he has tied with 58 times he's led for the career. It's the fastest field that they had of 230.294. And VK was the youngest front row starter at 20 years, 261 days. He beats Carlos Munoz. And the tied record for Dixon, he has tied Tony Canon for at least leading one lap in 14 Indy 500s. So it is unbelievable that 30 years later that this happened that we have another four-time winner does he drive for five i think he does but a great race and this is i I quote alan sir jr for all the people out there when he won in 92 you just don't know if you haven't been to indy you just don't know what indy means watch i and i hope people realize what indy means now But with that said, we actually also had another race. We had a doubleheader. Elliot, let's talk about the evening race. The Coca-Cola 600.
1: Yes, sir. Um, So much like the Indy 500 um, and an exceptionally um, brisk race, and a lot of cars running at the end. The same thing happened in the 600. Uh, This is the longest race of the NASCAR calendar, but uh, at the end of 400 laps, um, only one car, uh, the one car of Kurt Busch um, uh, was not running at the end, uh, dropping out after 139 laps with engine failure. Uh, The remainder of the field, all running at the finish. And the story of this race Bowtie tie beat down, especially uh, uh, from the hands of the four Hendrick Motorsports drivers and teams. Um, and in, uh, among those four, the five car of Kyle Larson with Cliff Daniels as his crew chief, they dialed up a car and a setup um, and a program for this race that was unmatched by anybody there was no catching the five car um he won all um all of the segments uh he was finished he finished first uh in segment one two three and then he took the checkered flag at lap 400 winning handily over chase elliott um william byron and alex bowman um Rounded out the uh, rounded out four uh, positions four and five. The only non-Chevrolet in the top six was Kyle Busch finishing third. Um, he had a car that uh, was in contention all evening, um, but for that contention, led a grand total of one lap. And um, very late in the race, uh, there was a, um, a late restart. And he gave it all he had. He raced uh, up to the, uh, the very limit before he started, uh, before he, he wrecked himself or somebody else. Um, and at the end, um, the Hendrick cars were just too strong, and Kyle Busch uh, had to settle for a third place finish. Uh, his teammate, Denny Hamlin, finished seventh. Um, Chris Busher was the leading Ford um, in this field, finishing eighth. Kevin Harvick finishing 10th. Um, The Blue Ovals not having a very good night, occupying much of the middle of the field. Um, While uh, Austin Dillon and Tyler Reddick both brought home top 10 finishes for Richard Childress Racing. Uh, Brad Keselowski finishing 11th. Um, Then Stenhouse, Blaney, Bubba Wallace finishing 14th. Another solid top 15 effort for the 23 11 team. Daniel Suarez finishing 15th, another solid effort for the track house racing effort. Um, Eric Jones finishing 16th as well. Um, Corey LaJoy and Michael McDowell both getting top 20 finishes for their respective teams. Um, the rookie chase Briscoe finishing 23rd, uh, Ryan priest, 26th Martin Truex jr. Um, who uh, did, did show some, uh, some speed at times, um, but at the end of the night finishing um, uh, well off the pace, nine laps down in 29th place. Um, the last two cars of the field, Ross Chastain and Kurt Busch, both driving for Chip Ganassi. Gentlemen, your thoughts on what was a big night um, and not for the first time in recent weeks uh, another big night for Hendrick Motorsports.
2: I, I got to say, it it was amazing. I mean, and we talked about, you know, history at Indy. History also got set at the Coke 600, too, because Hendrick just surpassed Petty Motorsports with all-time wins um, with that. So, um It's just, or it's just amazing that they, you know, they, they, you know, Kyle Larson and and the way the Chevys did, I mean, I was listening to pre-race before that and, and there was talk about, well, you know, looking at the conditions, the Chevys may not, you know, they were pretty trimmed out for qualifying you know th- this is going to be a, a good thing for Toyota and all that and it wasn't it, it wasn't it, it you're right it was a Chevy beat down and it was Hendrick you know th- this is what Hendrick was in the 90s and yeah it's I mean it, it's really good to see them um Larson just dominant I think um you know, he's, you know, you know, I, I think the whole speculation with Hendrick bringing him on after what happened last year um, is gone away. But yeah, him, Chase Elliott, Byron and Bowman are just, I mean, if it wasn't for Kyle Bush, they were going to have another one, two, three, four sweep. But great racing. Um, I, I, I know the concerns did come throughout the race when Chastain and Bush both had their engine issues because of the, um, they get their motors from Hendrick. I did see today that one of the spokespersons for Hendrick did say, hey, that's 100% our fault. Um, those, you know, we gave them that equipment. That's our fault. Um, so, but yeah, I, I just don't know where the Toyotas, you know, the Toyotas are actually out doing the Fords. Um, Stuart Haas, I mean, you know, their top finisher was Harvick and that was 10th. Um, it's, i i just don't know where where Stuart Haas is this year um they've kind of took a step back um it's you know it, it was a really good race um you know and the only cautions were two for the stage and one for fluid when um um i think that was um chastain i believe or it was someone on that um dropped fluid and um i'm not sure who it was um and then when the six um when ryan newman crashed um but yeah i think it was a good race it it was exciting and yeah it's i think it's hendrix year. I put it that way.
1: Yep, Ryan, your thoughts? Dave, you think
0: it's Hendricks' year? Do you? I three straight, no one, two finishes
2: in major NASCAR races. Like, I dare say, yeah, it's it's Hendricks' year, all right? It, the, the only way, I, the reason I'm saying I think it's Hendricks' year is because the playoffs are another game.
0: Oh the yes, that's a completely playoff, different animal.
2: And, and and that's and that's the thing is the the teams that have been dominant um, have had their issues in the playoffs. The only one who really laid it out was a few years ago was Truex when he dominated and then took the championship that year. But yeah, continue. Certainly.
0: Anyone else think that Larson may have had it on cruise control for a good long while for just how long he spent uncontested up at the front? I I swear, I was watching that going, I've never seen someone make that look so easy in all my life. Mm -hmm. Well done, sir. He just couldn't be caught. Oh, no. Every now and again, when Chase Elliott and Kyle Busch were coming up, you know, trying to nip at him, suddenly he would just pull away from him again. And go, how does he do it? I forget how he does a good job for doing it.
2: It it, it was actually, can we say that the aerodynamics actually came into play really well to that track?
0: Very much. Yes. Mm -hmm.
2: Because I mean, you, you look at it and you look at the side drafting, I mean, drafting actually came into that too, was that, you know, the slightest disturbance you, you lost ground and it took a while. That's what, I mean, in, in the end, that's all Kyle Busch needed was, I mean, that's all William Byron, Alex Bowman needed was a hiccup like that with Kyle Busch. And it almost happened.
0: Hmm. Both well, Kyle Bush's that racing mind of his, he knew enough to see that it was coming and corrected before it cost him another spot. That's to his credit.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, that that I mean that is true. It's just you know, but that's what was all night is the air would just you, you would just lose the air off the nose and you know got away and, and that kind of benefited Larson too at the end.
0: Oh, it absolutely benefited him at the end. There's no arguing that.
2: Yeah. But it definitely was great racing. I
0: they- and I don't think there's too many drivers out there that said, oh, in the Coca-Cola 600, I led 327 of the 400 laps.
2: It, it's That's a very not, small it, handful
0: who can say that.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, it, it, I mean, it definitely put them on. I mean, there's another record. I mean, it, it's not the overall record. I'm not I'm not sure who, who has led the most in the Coke 600.
1: I think it might have been Truex a few years ago.
2: Yeah, I, I think it was in... I think it was, um, and that was, um, that was interesting. I mean, you, you don't usually get those dominant races, but Charlotte is starting to become that track, the Coke 600, um, for sure, with that.
1: Yeah, in 2016, according to RacingReference.info, Martin Truex Jr. led 392 of the 400 laps.
0: I don't Uh, think it's possible for that record to be touched. I just don't know if there's any car, driver, pair that could ever be good enough.
2: Yeah, I don't (laughs) know. That's almost asking for a miracle. I I, I, know, and that was, was that was stage racing too?
1: I believe so, yes, sir. Yeah,
2: so that, I mean, it's, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if the average But ever gets broken but yeah that was definitely a, a a good race
1: um yeah the four cars the 400 cars are definitely all firing on all cylinders right now and um you know it's one thing to see one team for, you know or one car from from a, a multi-car organization like Hendrick um doing exceptionally well um it's another thing entirely to see all of a racing organizations, cars doing exceptionally well, and Hendrick has it figured out. Uh, going into the summer months here, uh, it'll be interesting to see if they're if they're peaking now, if they're peaking a little too soon before the playoffs. But certainly, um, all four Hendrick cars have established themselves as the cars to beat going into the playoffs. Um, speaking of firing all cylinders, there is a rumor um, that is firing on all cylinders in the NASCAR world. Um, and we're going to talk about that in greater detail in the spotlight segment on the other side of this break. This is from checkered to green.
0: From checkered to green podcast. We'll be right back. You like what you're hearing? Join the conversation. Find us on our various positions on social media and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at from Checker to green podcast. Is there a particular segment you enjoy? Tell us a topic you'd like us to cover. Let us know your input is what helps drive our show. And we're always looking for more things to cover. So feel free to keep us informed. And if you're enjoying this episode, feel free to listen to the rest of our library. You can find us at podcasts.com as well as Apple Podcasts under the From Checker to Green podcast. Right, we hope to hear from you soon. And now back to the From Checker to Green podcast.
1: Thank you, Ryan. Our spotlight segment tonight, we're going to look at a couple of different um, major stories in the world of motorsports. And the first of which is, we're going to talk about um, a rumor that has uh, come out and has, um, has shades of uh, 2008 um, all over again. And that is a driver potentially being offered a ownership stake um, in a known cup racing organization. In this case, it would be Brad Keselowski, the championship winning driver um, currently racing for Team Penske. Um, being linked um, in recent reports to um, a ride at Roush Fenway Racing and with it um, a partial ownership stake in that organization in 2022. Um, Now that this report has neither been confirmed nor denied um, by some of the major parties um, including Brad Keselowski himself who um, was quoted as saying and this is according to Uh, Kelly Crandall at racer.com. I can't talk about that when I can, I'll tell you. So certainly um, uh, a lot of buzz around this, uh, this piece of news Um, and uh, it harkens back to um, another major move. I touched on it a second ago Um, and that was another championship winning driver, Tony Stewart being offered A ownership stake in what was then Haas CNC Racing, um, which Stewart accepted, and that team uh, became uh, what we now know as Stewart Haas Racing. And they went from being a middle of the pack team um, to winning a championship uh, only a few years later. And then a few years later, winning another championship with Kevin Harvick in dominating fashion in 2014. So, gentlemen, let's talk about this. Let's talk about. Um, what this means um, and why, um, of all the drivers out there, um, Keselowski would or would not be a good fit to be a driver and co-owner of a, uh, uh, of a racing organization.
2: I, I'll start with this. I think it actually would be a good move for Brad Keselowski because it keeps him in the Ford camp. It's a lateral move for him. I mean, he's 37 right now. You got to figure he's probably going to have, what, five, maybe 10 years left before he retires. He used to be an owner in the truck series before that closed up. But I think, you know, what he's learned from, from Penske, the success he's had, he's won a championship with Penske he can, you know, that's something Roush would need. I I know they got Ryan Newman over there. Um, With with that said, is it you know, could, you know, if you do that, do you make a third car? Do you make a, you know, do you say Ryan Newman's out, which he's kind of said, you know, he's kind of, you know, has said, I've got unfinished business here. Does Chris chris busher go out or do you do a swap where maybe keselowski goes there and um um i i wouldn't say newman goes back to penske but maybe busher goes back goes over to penske do you kind of do a swap there but it's you know it, it it's it's gonna be interesting i mean it it would be the most smartest move because if it's kind of, you know, he's in his final year of the contract. If it ends, you know, where's he going to go? And knowing that, you know, there's talk, maybe Kurt Bush may go to 23 XI, um, the 23 XI team to be a second car. Maybe, you know, you know, that opens up in something. Nasty, so maybe they want somebody, um, who knows what changes are going to happen, you know, who, who could leave Gibbs, you know, Stuart Haas, it's, you know, all those things um, are going to be there. And the other thing is, is that there's also that technical alliance with Stuart Haas. So they're struggling. So having him go there, might be the best have him co-owner it takes some pointers from Tony Stewart they and maybe they could do something that they could get a technical alliance between Haas Roush and Penske. so, I th- that's kind of where I'm I'm thinking. I kind of want to hear your guys' thoughts and and kind of see what you guys have to say.
1: Brian, you want to jump in real quick? Sure.
0: Now, if that alliance were to become a thing, Dave, that'd be a powerful alliance. And I think that's the sort of thing that could really shift the balance of power in NASCAR. Obviously, it's you know pure speculation at this point, but hardly out of the question when you think about it. And as far as uh, Keselowski going to Roush in 22, if that does happen, honestly, I think that would set him up for a little bit more success in the remainder of his career and be a solid retirement plan as well. So I don't think anyone could fault him for making that move if it does happen, which I think it will. Honestly, I see that being in his best interest both now as a driver and later when he wants to shift more to a... You know more ownership status once his driving career is over i think all around it'd be a smart decision for him and i think he'll make it
1: i think of um of all the drivers that are um that are out there in the cup field today um to both of your points uh if there's one that can assume a role like this and make it work. It's Brad Keselowski. Um, bringing up a couple of points that were made by Bob Pockris in an article on Fox Sports on May 18th, um, he talked about um, some of the things that um, might speak well to this uh, this pairing and why it might be a good thing for, for both parties. Um, talking first, uh, of course, about both Keselowski and Jack Roush being fellow Michiganders, um, and uh, Keselowski being interested in owning a race team um, and getting into at the same time getting into the competition side of a of a race team as well, um, and you know we talked about alliances, um, or, or, uh, both of you did. Um, it's important to note that um, a couple of things. Number one. Um, Penske and and Stuart Haas, um, actually I'm not sure about Penske, but um, Stuart Haas and Roush already kind of have an alliance um, with their engine program. Stuart Haas runs Roush Yates engines um, in their cars. Um, I can't remember offhand if Penske um, also runs Roush Yates Yates engines or if they have their their own uh, engine shop. But um, going into next year, with um, so many parts for the new generation of uh, race car being spec parts, um, I think the the most critical part of an alliance among uh, like manufactured teams uh, is going to be the data um, and the brain power that's going back and forth uh, between. The different race teams and the different racing organizations that are competing um, under the same manufacturer flag. So that's where I think the the critical part of this is going to be. And I think that um, Keselowski could help affect um, that communication and, and affect that alliance. Um, you know, we talked before about him um, having owned a, um, a a truck team, and so being able to speak well from the ownership side. Um, and being a, a, a very successful driver and a very outspoken driver on a number of subjects, um, from, the, from the garage side, I think he could do very well there also. Um, so with that said, and, and um, I would be remiss if I didn't also mention that, uh, the first um, reporter to break this story was Jim Utter at motorsport.com? Wanted to make sure I got that in there too. Um, but, um, uh, you know, Keselowski being an entrepreneur as well, um, having uh, created Keselowski Advanced Manufacturing, um, which is um, a successful 3D printing company um, and is doing a lot of business with um, some really big name people. So Certainly, a, a a very busy guy, um, and knowing very well how to how to be able to get um, uh, a company off the ground and doing well. Now, with that said, we also know that um, Roush is not; it, it's not a situation like what uh, Tony Stewart walked into at ha CNC. Um, Roush is, I I would argue. Um, a little further along, they're much more competitive. Uh, case in point, uh, this last weekend, Chris Busher finishing top 10. Uh, both Busher and Newman having solid runs thus far this year. You
2: know, to jump on that point, yeah, Roush is, I, I agree, Roush is further along. And, you know, Roush probably has his own set ways, but you have to remember that, you know, Roush is... I, I think if Roush could have help and and the, the reason it's come up is probably because also look at the next gen car, gen car coming out here. There's teams that are going to be champing at the bit for possible charters. And I think if you look at Roush, you know, they used. They were probably one of the first, uh, multi-car you know car teams that had back in the nineties four or five cars. They came away from one, they had two, which um, Mark Martin kind of despised of that. He, he really wasn't sure about a teammate, um, yeah. Same thing with Dale Earnhardt when they added Mike Skinner. Um, One could make
1: an argument about Rusty Wallace also when yeah. uh, Jeremy Mayfield came on at yeah. Penske.
2: Yeah, I mean, when when you go multi-car team, you're going to, I mean, you know, Hendrick, I mean, probably had the multi-car team in the 80s. You know, b- before that, look at Petty. Um, so, I mean, Roush had you know, had five cars in the 90s. I mean, they had Musgrave, they, they had Kurt Busch, they had Chad Lill, they had Marn, they had, um, oh, who else? Uh, Carl Edwards, you know, the list goes on and on. They had Kenseth. So they had a lot of good drivers come through it. And he has stayed with Ford throughout. He never went to Dodge. He never went to Chevy. He kind of made a good step with the Ford program. And I just, I think that, I I think at some point Roush does um, need to think when he has to step aside. Um, Costs have hurt him. He went from a five car team down to a four down to a three now down to a two um, if he wants to go back to three I think this move would be good but again we don't know what the what the contract talks are what, going on with Penske and all that and we don't know if Pensky's actually doing those talks with because of IndyCar we don't know if it's Jay Pensky doing it or if it's someone else in the organization. Um, but you also gotta remember that Penske also hasn't had their best moments with those guys. Kozlowski and Logano both have had their bad moments, um, i.e., Logano a few years ago with Kenzeth. So, um, yeah, I just don't, I, I I know Roush probably wants to be that dominant, but I I wouldn't be surprised that they're giving some thought to it, especially after seeing how successful it's been with Danny Hamlin and and Bubba Wallace. And there's talk that they want to expand, which means you've got, and, and Hamlin's looking for another good driver. So, you know, Where, you know, does Hamlin say, hey, you know, what if Kurt Busch isn't going to leave Ganassi? Well, there's talks about Penske, you know, he, you know, he maybe wants to be an owner. Maybe they can, you know, maybe Hamlin spins this and says, hey, if Roush is going to balk, come to me. I need another driver. I want a second car next year. So I, you know, yeah. Silly season off and running.
0: Look at us. Not even halfway through the racing season and speculations on silly season have already begun. What a time to be a racing fan. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: I just, I, I just, I mean, Elliot, I I don't know what what do you think. Do you think that Roush would? I mean, knowing Roush, do you think he would just be willing to step aside to let somebody help co-own?
1: Well, he has before. Let's let's not forget that. Um, you know, he's um, uh, he's no longer the sole owner of this team. He's co-owner of it with um, Fenway yeah with the Fenway sports group Um, and you know so they're they're uh, you know pretty big investors in his team so in that way he's already kind of um, you know given up sole control of of the team I don't think bringing in somebody uh, with an additional ownership stake in this team is out of character for him Mm -hmm. so um, you know as we have seen you know, he brings in people that will make his team, will make his organization successful. Um, you know, now whether or not they've, you know, had the wins and the championships to, to go with it, it, especially in recent years, is a little bit of a matter of debate. But with that said, um, you know, the team is still doing pretty well these days. Um, and I think it's, um, you know, in no small part due to the partnership that Roush has with uh, the Fenway Sports Group. Um now with that said, as far as um Keselowski's piece in this, um I think he's got the um the business acumen to be able to to make the team more successful than it is right now. He may also be able to help attract additional sponsorship money, additional companies that want to be a part of this race team. Um, and let's also not forget when uh, Tony Stewart came into Haas CNC. He brought in a lot of um, companies with him. He brought in Old Spice. Um, he brought in
2: uh, he Office brought in, Depot. Yep.
1: He, he brought, brought in, uh, Burger mobile, King. Yep. yep one. one.
2: He, yep. he. Yeah. He did. And but you know I you know one one thought that just came to my mind um, is what about the whole, um, with, I mean, we, we know Bob Pockers just put something out this week about these small teams wanting charters, you know, JT Daughtry might be selling their charter. Um, there's, team, there's these small teams that have these charters that may be going up because, you know, maybe be up for sale because of the next gen car. And and maybe some of the costs going into that and some of these other teams wanting to take advantage of that. Do you think that, do you you think they actually end up doing what, do do you think he does this where Kozlowski sticks with Penske, but does the Denny Hamlin route because they can get a charter?
1: Um, I don't know about that. I, I wonder if um he would need to kind of pick a street, you know what I mean. I, um i don't I don't know if um if if such a thing would be would be possible there. Ryan, what do you think? I think
0: that's going to be a point of interest in the coming seasons just to see you know, if any of these smaller teams position themselves uh, to be considered these kind of expansions or, you know, perhaps even partnerships with other teams. And I feel that's all going to depend on the smaller teams' performances, really. And there's a couple of them out there that are showing that they got what it takes to contend.
2: And I think those are the
0: ones that are going to warrant the attention.
2: So, so with that, um, so let's say he does you know that doesn't happen and, and they decide okay we're sticking with the two-car team we're going to give him ownership it won't be a three-car team who they push out
1: that is a very good question um so the initial report that came out from jim motor uh jim utter at motorsport.com was that keselowski would take over the six car which would mean that ryan newman would have to Find another seat elsewhere. So, um, but there again, nothing has been uh, there, has been no comment from anybody um, about this. Um, And even um, Ryan Newman himself has said he doesn't know anything about this. Um, And uh, uh, again, this is according to the may 29th article from racer.com written by kelly crandall um newman stated uh and i quote i've not been told anything to know and i'm just doing my thing
2: yeah so we don't even know what's going on with that it's i mean i I think it's going to be very 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 interesting to see what comes out um Mm-hmm. in the next you know few weeks in the next few months um i mean we've got the thing with kirk bush that you know he was gonna retire he's not you know we don't know where he's going there it's i mean the you know there's talk that you know day hamlin thinks he would be a good fit with a second car team, if they can land a second charter at 23XI, um, it's gonna be very, very interesting um, where everyone's gonna fall. Um,
1: And with that in mind, it would also be worth noting too, and and, uh, worth a a couple of minutes of discussion, revisiting this whole issue of charters and with so many, um, you know, so many teams either looking to expand or maybe some new people trying to get into the sport um, and, you know, where these charters exist now and, you know, who may or may not be willing to uh, give up one. So, um, so let's, let's talk about that for, for a minute and uh, let's talk about what barriers, um, you know, smaller teams are going to have surviving in this next generation of uh, NASCAR race car and next generation NASCAR racing, mm-hmm. um, and who all is is going to be able to uh, be a charter team going forward? So, um, it it really seems like um, you know if if the goal was to make. Um, charters a more valuable asset going forward that they are going to appreciate as an investment would like a stock or something like that, Um, it definitely seems to be paying off and doing exactly what it's supposed to do for those who have a charter in hand and bought it at a lesser price than what it is now. Um, As we go forward into 2022, 23. It seems likely to me, and, and I'd be curious to hear both of your thoughts that we're going to have more than 40 cars rather consistently showing up every single week. And so, if you're a team like uh, uh like a Ryan Priest for JTD JTG Doherty um, that is running without a charter um, and is counting on timing their way into the field every week, um, you know, it's going to make that kind of strategy, that much more risky, I think, um, especially if you're a team that um, uh, you know doesn't necessarily have the the consistent speed week to week to ensure that you will be in the show. Um, it almost has kind of a feel of maybe like a 2006, uh, 2008, uh somewhere you know the mid late two thousands there where you had. The, uh, the top 35 rule and a lot of cars showing up to, uh, to the race, uh, showing up to race every single week and a lot of good teams not making the show week to week. What do y'all think? Do you feel like we're, we're heading towards that way again?
2: I, I, think, I think we are and I think this, it's going to be a scary part on that. Because we all knew what happened in, in the early 2000s when that happened. And the, the issues, the top 35, the complaints, um, you know, it, it just, it wasn't, you know, know, how unfair it was. The reaction was ridiculous. Um, and then they went to this charter system to kind of help alleviate that. I think you are going to go, I I think you are going to see that, but I, you know, I think that's going to be a very slippery slope that they're going to go down or or it's going to be a a rabbit hole that you may not want to go down. And the reason I say that is you, all you have to do is take a look at 1997. And the Indy 500, when they guaranteed so many cars and points would make the show, and they and two of them missed it, and that caused controversy. And they had to put 35 cars in the field because they because they screwed up. Um, they also the indy 500 also had the issue with qualifying too um a, a couple of years ago with hinchcliffe missing the show and the con- and the um uproar that came off of that so it's probably it, it, if charters are going to start becoming big and you're going to start getting more cars showing up to the track I think the NASCAR needs to phase out the charter system and just let as many cars show up, you get more, you know, if you get less than 40, fine. If you get more, if you get 40, great. If you get more than 40, let them in, let them qualify. Um, if you're not going to do qualifications, Um, then maybe you need to change up the metrics. If you're not doing time trials down the road, maybe you do heat races or something. I don't, I don't know what, you know, they're going to have to figure it out, but they, um, yeah, they're, it, it will be a very slippery slope. If that happens, Ryan.
0: I'm still sticking by my thought that performance is going to be what determines, you know, who the, these teams in their positions, but there's a wild card that we haven't really discussed that I think could change the dynamic in the coming seasons, the next generation cars, because when those hit the track, it's pretty much going to be as even a playing field as motorsports gets that right there is an opportunity for some of these smaller teams to show dominance if they can master these vehicles quickly they could assert themselves in the racing world and improve their positions in the team rankings and an argument could be made that you know suddenly these small independent teams that you know really know the ins and outs of these new cars well they're they're worth the attention again And as far as the number of entries go, I wouldn't be all that surprised to see it expanded to at least 40 cars. Honestly, with how good a lot of these drivers and teams are, it's almost a shame for some of these guys not to make it out, especially if it's, you know, very, very close, especially in the the back of the pack. But I think that's, again, going to fall to performance. It's like if you can perform at the level where you qualify for the race, Here's a spot for you, but if you don't, it's like, sorry guys, try next race. And to your point, Dave, about the charters, if they do expand to forty, you're right. That's going to call into question the viability
1: of the charters.
2: Well, certainly.
1: Yeah, um, and that begs a question too about, um, you know, for these small teams. Okay or even, even a, a larger team. I'm, I'm looking at an article here from uh, Bob Pockris, um written yesterday on foxsports.com. And they were talking with Denny Hamlin, who owns the 2311 team. Um, and he talks about whether or not, if, you know, if his team expands to two cars, whether or not he's going to have a charter for that second car. He, he says, and I quote, I don't know how much I want to invest in a charter right now. It would take me years to get that money back. And once I maybe get it back, the whole agreement could be different. I'm okay with being patient, close quote. And so that begs a question for um, other teams that, uh, you know, up and coming teams that don't necessarily have the budget um, that somebody like a Hamlin, um, a 2311 would. You know, do you have five million, maybe even 10 million? Um, however much the the going rate for charters is, and um, you know, depending on who you ask and when you ask, um, it seems like the the price fluctuates a little bit. So it's it's difficult to um, get a handle on how much that cost would be. But um, y'all talked about the the next generation of car and how it's it is going to drive down costs in terms of your week to week, right? But it's that initial investment, if you're going to race as a charter team, um, that may give a lot of teams pause going forward. Um, but I, um, Ryan, you talked about the idea of expanding uh, the number of chartered teams to 40, Um unless we're expanding the field back to 43, and even then I would would have some great misgivings about that because at that point, if you're trying to start your own team and trying to build a presence in the the cup series, um, it's going to be that much more difficult to do when you're trying to fight for one of three open positions. To make it in the field. Um, I think that um, if you have somebody like Denny Hamlin saying that he's okay being patient, um, trying to pursue a charter um, for another one of his teams, then I think that kind of sets, a. then I think the, um, uh, the weather vane is certainly turning in the direction of patience, maybe towards other car owners doing the same as well. We shall see um but for now um it's time to um give a shout out to uh to one of our sponsors and then we're uh we're getting to the track and we're going to go green we're going to preview some upcoming races um on the other side of this break this is from checker to green
0: we'll be right back to the from checker to green podcast Looking to make your business stand out among your competitors? Consider Samurai Graphics. Samurai Graphics has the design knowledge and resources to make your business stand out to your customers, as well as give yourself a leg up on your identity. Anything from logo designs to business cards to advertising references, such as postcards, flyers, stickers, whatever you need to get your name out there and build revenue, consider Samurai Graphics. For more information, Contact Samurai Graphics at samurai graphics716 at gmail.com. Samurai Graphics, your business design solution. And now we're back to the From Checker to Green podcast.
2: Welcome back, and we are preparing for race weekend. We've got Live action on the board. We've got Cup Xfinity. And we also got um Formula One going on. So gentlemen, let's kick off the green segment and let's talk about a row course that I think everyone loves to be at for the cup. Sonoma. Elliot, take it away.
1: So Sonoma is um uh it's one of the most difficult racetracks um, on the circuit, I think. Um, incredibly technical, slow, um, but at the same time, a lot of braking, um, a lot of time off the throttle at this place. Um, you have to, there's very little room for error. You have to make sure you're, um, you're, you get your, your lines just right, and you have to time your passes just right. There are some passing zones here, but the timing has to be precise and you have to complete it. Otherwise you can be in trouble, um, especially heading into certain parts of the track that really are one groove. Um, I'm, and I'm thinking of uh, the S's in particular coming out of the, uh, the hairpin at turn seven. So um, this is um, a track where, you know, we've seen, um, and you know, over the years, we've seen road course specialists um, develop out of some of your, your leading cup regulars. And I'm thinking of Chase Elliott and Martin Truex Jr. in particular. Truex, um, I believe, is the defending race winner here back to 2019. They did not run at Sonoma in 2020 because of the pandemic. Um, but the last time they ran here was in 2019 and Martin Truex Jr. took home the win then. Um, we've seen Chase Elliott really come into his own as a road course racer, so certainly he's a favorite. Um, I think Ryan Blaney could definitely be considered a favorite also, um, but there's a lot of other drivers out there that um, could make a make a run at this. Um, and um, I would be curious if, um, if you have somebody like maybe um, an AJ Allmendinger or somebody that um, was interested in, in coming out and having some fun in this race as well, that could make it interesting as well. Um, looking at the lineup, I do not see him uh, in the race for the weekend. Um, but um, certainly Kevin Harvick as well. Harvick being from California. Um, you know, this would be a, a home track for him. Um, so uh, definitely some, uh, some people that um, could do well starting towards the front. Um, so with that, you know we've talked before about uh hendricks dominance uh, especially at some of the the mile mile and a half speedways it would be very interesting to me to see um where they are in terms of uh their their road course prowess well obviously um chase Elliott getting the win at circuit of the americas um due to the rain Elliott was uh, took home the win certainly speaks to um uh, the Hendrick teams at the very least being in the right place at the right time. Now let's see if they can string together um, a dominant performance across all of their, their teams um, at a track where we know, weather's not going to be a concern and it's, this is a, a track that rewards strategy and smart work um, in addition to hard work.
2: You know, I'm I'm looking at the race course here, and it's I mean it's amazing because of the elevation change. I mean, you go from, you know, you start off as surface, and you go up to 153 in elevation change in turn three, to 140 feet back to 85 in turn six. All the way down to 33 and back to 60 and turn you know in 6a essentially back to 108 in in seven and then you kind of snake back down you hit that carousel and you, you're back to like 16 feet in elevation um it's amazing this race course and it, it's definitely a test um you know i you know, I think all the race courses have their uniqueness and Sonoma definitely does. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if Hendrick can keep that dominance. I mean, you got Larson and Elliot on the pole. Elliot, you know, has become that road course ringer. Um, you know, it's, you know, his dad really didn't do too well on road courses. Um, you know, I mean, you think of road course, you know, guys who really did well on road courses. You look at like Mark Martin, who always had success at Sonoma and Watkins Glen. You look at uh, Jeff Gordon, you know, being one of them. But Elliott's really doing well, and I think he's got a good chance. It'd be interesting to see if Hendrick keeps that dominance, Um but I'm looking through through the drivers. I mean, 37 cars. You do have some road course ringers, like Scott Hecker is running in it. Um, ben Rhodes is actually he, – he's good on road courses, so he's running the 77 this year uh, – this time around. Um, but you look at some of the other guys, I mean – you know, could we see a Harvick do well? He's starting eighth. Could, you know, could like somebody like Suarez have a good showing or like a Truex who's had, you know, who's had success in road courses? Um, it, it's going to be interesting, but, you know, it's it's definitely a road course that can have, um, can have, things happen you 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 miss a turn you you go off that can be the get you know that could be the end of the day especially going into um 11 that hairpin turn where locking up the brakes happens a lot and you can get turned around so i think it's going to be very very interesting to see how that unfolds this weekend ryan your thoughts
0: well to build on the points that you gentlemen have both made this course is a technician's paradise and it plays to the favor of chase Elliott, being that road courses are his home sweet home for him he's in a position of strength starting up near the front however as you pointed out elliot even though uh martin truex jr It may not be the most favorable of starting positions at 19. I I could see him returning to form at Sonoma as the defending champion, because he's shown he has everything that it takes to not only perform well at Sonoma, but to win Sonoma. So he'll be one to definitely keep an eye on as well. It wasn't until I was looking at the lineup that I saw that, as you mentioned, Dave, that Ben Rhodes was in that race. And again, as good as he is on the road course is not a driver to sleep on because he could move up that pack very efficiently if he's running a good day. So I look forward to seeing this race play out. And this is not the sort of thing where uh, Hendrick Motorsports can say like, oh yeah, we got this race in the bag. No, you don't. You don't have the race in the bag until you have the race in the bag, but they have a good chance with Chase Elliott up front. But don't sell anybody else out. They want to win just as badly as you. I'm really looking forward to this one as a road course fan.
1: Indeed. Um, And road course fans uh, are going to have a very fun weekend coming up uh, because the Xfinity cars are on a road course of their own. Um, Specifically, the Mid-Ohio sports car course um, in Ohio. And uh, for the BNL Transport 170, they have a full field of 40 cars uh, slated to take the green flag uh, tomorrow. Austin Sindrick starts in the poll with Ty Gibbs outside of him. Uh, Harrison Burton, <coughs> Jeb Burton, uh, make up row two with Justin Allgaier, Brandon Brown, Brandon Jones, Jeremy Clements, Riley Herbst, and Justin Haley, um, rounding out the top 10. AJ Almendinger. Um, is slated to start in the 12th position in his number 16 machine, um, gentlemen. What are your thoughts on the Xfinity cars at Mid Ohio?
2: I love I love this course. Um, it's interesting because they don't actually. I I think they actually start the race on the back stretch and or one off coming off one of the corners and then come to the the green or or they take the green at one part and then and not at the actual start finish line um i know indycar's done that i think they do that for the cup guys as well i just can't remember where they exactly do that but
1: that might be um off um right after the keyhole
2: Um, yes I, and, I think um, you're right because yeah. of where that start finish line is literally located. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's good. It, it's Mid Ohio a great race. It's one of those tracks that, like Sonoma, like Watkins Glen, like Road America, has its uniqueness. It's a, you now it's always put good racing there. I wouldn't be surprised if Cedric, who does well on road courses, wins this. I mean, I know Ty Gibbs won the um, Daytona road course. He could very well, um, you know, put another statement up there if he does win this race. I know um, he may get some experience with that because ARCA is running at Mid-Ohio this weekend as well. So that may benefit him more because he runs ARCA. But, you know, looking at the lineup, I mean, you got Ryan Vargas in there. Uh, let's see who else we got. You got Jesse Little. Let's see. Um, I'm trying to see if there's any good drivers. Well, you got Miguel Paluto for driving the number eight. Which um, you know, he's a he's definitely got road course experience, but you know, a guy like Algayer, this, you know, this would be a good race for him, it, you know, to do well. You know, a lot of these guys do well at road courses. You're looking, you know, looking at the starting lineup. And so it, it's good racing. I do I, I I'll be honest. I think Xfinity tends to put on some better road course shows than the Cup guys. Um, Even more, you know, I I just think because these guys run different road courses and, you know, they they tend to be a little more racier with each other. So I like it. I think it's going to be a a good racing. And my pick is I think Cindric or Gibbs will do it. Ryan, your thoughts?
0: like two really good road courses in one weekend—a market a racing fan ask for. And as far as performance go, I have to agree, Dave. I see the Xfinity guys putting on an absolute clinic at Mid Ohio because there's a lot of good, technically sound drivers coming out of that particular group, and I was going to see—I see them showing off a little bit for the quality course that Mid Ohio is, and. I, I agree with you as well that I think Austin Cindric is the driver to beat in this course. I'm looking forward to some quality racing out of them. It will be a good time. Elliot?
1: Indeed. Um, I think this is going to be, you know, just like um, in Sonoma, this is going to be a track that rewards strategy. But at the same time, um, there are, you know, some turns on this track that also reward fearlessness. And when I think of fearlessness um, on a road course, AJ Allmendinger is at the front of that list. Um, he's either going to be competing for the win or he's going to finish in 30th place. Uh, that's just, it's it's one or the other with him. Um, I think Noah Gregson also has a potential to do really, really well here. Um, but uh, beyond that, you know, y'all talked about it before, Austin Sindrick, um is... Uh, you know, it's it certainly a favorite. And this is a track where um, the first two segments, if memory serves, are 20 laps piece. That's not a long time. So um, whatever your strategy is, you have to make it, make it work and make it fast because it, there's not a lot of time.
2: It's 25 laps for the first segment. Actually, all the segments are 25, 25, 25
0: thank you okay at least they're consistent and
2: looking at the track map i think it might be oh it yeah it is coming out of the keyhole is the rolling starting line okay yeah Yeah, they take it out of the keyhole Yeah. Mm -hmm. you're right
1: yep so it's you know how late you can break getting into that corner how fast you can um can get through turn one and get down to the keyhole i think that's that's going to be another big part of it um and then um you know how brave you're going to be going down into um that left-hander into that last right-hander um uh before the the quick left-hand kink back to start finish that's going to be another big uh another key part to this track i think there's a lot of different parts of this track that um reward aggressive drivers but you can't be too aggressive because otherwise um there's uh there's grass and then there's tire barriers waiting for you so um but there again just like in sonoma i think the weather should be pretty good for that race this weekend as well so um it's going to be just a flat out street fight, I think, um, for, uh, for these, these drivers. And it'll be interesting to see um, who comes out on top. Should be fun.
2: Oh, yeah. Definitely, indeed. But, Ryan, you said two great road course races. There's a third one this weekend. There is indeed, and I stand corrected. And it starts early. It is... The Azerbaijan Grand Prix for Formula One and Baku C- City Circuit, a very, very tight circuit, and that, and, and this is what I mean by tight. I'm gonna, I'm gonna describe this for you guys. It's a 51-lap race. It's a, sh- it, it, it's a longer track, but very tight. Um, it's got two DRS detection zones. They get one coming from on the front straightaway and then one in, um, and then a literally a left-hander into turn one, a a left-hander into turn two, a left-hander into turn three, and then a right-hander into turn four between the straightaway between two and three will be a DRS zone. Um, a lot of sharp turns in this course. Um, Very easy to make mistakes. If you end up um, crashing. Um, It's and this weekend it's ding, ding, ding. Another round between Mercedes and Red Bull. We all know what happened at Monaco, gentlemen. Do we think Mercedes gets back on the horse? Or we think Red Bull starts running away.
1: Well, if free practice is any indication uh, thus far, um, because we're recording here on uh, Friday evening, the fourth, um, and they've already had a couple of uh, free practice sessions, um, it looks like this weekend is going to be Red Bull's to to own and make some some distance from Mercedes um, if uh, yeah. if they're smart and they run a simple, cogent race. And a solid strategy because Mercedes does not have pace thus far. Um, in fact, looking at um, an article written by Jonathan Noble from motorsport.com, uh, one of the motorsport excuse me, one of the Mercedes drivers, Valtteri Botas, says uh, something is, quote, fundamentally wrong, unquote, with the Mercedes cars in Baku.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, definitely, because their practice has been 7th and 10th in practice 1 and 11th and 16th. I mean, that is not good for them, considering that they've, um, you've got McLaren nipping on their heels, Ferrari starting to get back into things. This may not be good for them. Um, but with that said, it, it things could change. I think you're going to get a good idea when qualifying drops. And, and when they do qualifying and you see how the lineup shakes out, because this is a track that, just like Monaco, it, it's tight. It's You're not going to you know, you're going to have to work pit strategy, um, to, to your advantage. You know, it's not like a track like, um, in the beginning of the year, these open road courses where they could, you know, you could gain position, you could catch somebody and, and make those passes and really work out this, you know, between Monaco and this, this is very tough. Um, And it's going to be a grueling test. I mean, and it's a short race. That's the other thing. It's 51 laps. You know, Monaco was 70 something. It's 51. So you're going to have these strategies that, you know, if Mercedes, it doesn't qualify well, they're going to, um, hope that they can overcut quite a bit, um, to, to gain. This is a track where undercut's not going to work. You're going to need to overcut, and you're going to have to play that right. So I will i i, I, I will leave it into Toto Wolf's hands on this, but it will be very, very interesting. Ryan, your thoughts?
0: Well, I'm sure it stands right now at the end of practice, too, that Team Ferrari is hoping the practice numbers carry over both into the qualifying and the race performance because they've been consistently doing well in the practices for Azerbaijan. So they're probably hoping, please do well in the race, please do well in the race. But for Mercedes, they, they got a bit of a hill to climb. if They want to put themselves back in a solid contention. And as it sits right now, Red Bull is the team to beat in this race. So they either need to, you'll know, come up with that really solid timing strategy or Mercedes might be in trouble. Yeah. But we're going to see how this plays out, aren't we? Oh
2: yeah. yeah. Most, most certainly, because it, it, I mean, this could be something that, you know, this, you know, if Mercedes struggles and if, and if practice indication of this, you're looking at maybe points, and if you get points, it's the lower end of that. You know, it's not the higher points. So what they're gonna need to do if they know that they're that something's fundamentally wrong here, if I'm Toto Wolf, I'm figuring out how to take a point away with those fast slaps. And you gotta do that. Because if not, you have literally a good chance for Norris to gain. You have Red Bull pulling away in the constructors on you. And you could have McLaren nip on your heels and gain if they have a great showing. So it's going to be very interesting. And concerning that Mercedes has had four of the fastest of the five fastest laps this year. It would be very, it, it, you know, this could be a thing where everything could go wrong for them. And this may be the season just like Ferrari and Vettel in Germany um, a few years ago when he crashed in the rain and that was it for Ferrari. So yeah, we will see what happens, but it, it, I'm, Putting my DVR on, I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna watch it. I'm excited. I love yes. this track.
1: Yeah, so am I. This is. Um, I mean, if I think qualifying is going to be especially entertaining tomorrow, um, given some of the people that um, were towards the top of the leaderboard in free practice too, um, both the Alpha Tori cars were in the top ten, um, and. Yuki Tsunoda, who has had, you know, some struggles thus far this year. Uh, he was, he was 10th quick. He was ahead of Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas, both. That says something. Um, Kimi Raikkonen, uh, his teammate, Antonio Giovinazzi at uh, Alfa Romeo. He was seventh quick. Um, Alonso sixth quick. Lando Norris, in eighth. Bocan in, uh, in ninth for Alpine. Um, Alpine, uh Uh, having two cars in the top 10 as well. Um, It, uh, it certainly suggests it could be uh, uh, one of those um, unique um, starting lineups um, and uh, could be, uh, could potentially be very bad for Mercedes. Now, David, you talked about, um, you know, getting a point for the fastest lap or what have you. Um, The only way I could foresee that happening is if they had uh, super softs or something that they put on with like five laps to go or something like that. And even then, um, whether or not they would get that fast lap would be a matter of debate because, um, uh, you know, if if this is, uh, you know, if the time and the reports from uh, Botas at the very least um, are to be believed, they just don't have the pace. And so if you don't have the pace, you're not going to get, um, a point for the fastest lap. Now with that also said, um, you know, uh, Ryan, you talked about Ferrari, um, being in a good position, uh, Leclerc, again, having a problem, uh, with contact, uh, during the free practice. In this case, it was just a front wing. They were able to replace that. Um, but Leclerc needs to be able to put a solid qualifying effort under him and then have a solid race and just finish. Um, And if he does that with a solid effort from Carlos Sainz, as I believe they had in Monaco, then that's going to establish Ferrari um, as another main player. They may not win the manufacturer's title this year. Red Bull may just be too strong, but it may put them in the conversation again with Mercedes at the very least. So, so, um, so with that, it's going to be an interesting race. Um, like y'all, I'm going to have my DVR set and I'm, I'm going to be looking forward to this one also.
2: I got, I got a point really quick, Ellie. You mentioned about tires. I have the tire compound choices. So Pirelli went to, um, starting last year, you know, and say having like six or seven eight different tires, they went from a compounds, um, from c1 c2 c3 c4 c5 so c1 is the hardest two um is the second hardest three's in the middle four is getting softer five is the softest they're using c3 c4 and c5 so that's for this race in baku and so you've got kind of like a medium medium soft soft so yeah you know you're gonna see those super softer tires i don't know what the pit strategies will be we'll kind of find that out on sunday um but yeah so they've got c5s which is really soft so we'll, we'll kind of see how that plays out yes, sir. so with that said
1: it's time for us to uh jump into our final thoughts and then it's time to go racing Well, for
0: those listening who are Formula One fans like us, breaking news today dropped where the Singapore Grand Prix has officially been canceled from the Formula One schedule this year. And based on interview with the heads of Formula One, uh, the front runner to change that location would be to a track somewhere in the United States. So, gentlemen, for our final thoughts, if you could work your will and you could choose one track, to fill in that slot. What track would you choose? Dave? I uh, yeah, put you on the spot there a little bit. I got more than one. If you had a... Okay. How
2: many is more than one? Two. All right. What are your top two, sir? I'll give you that. I'd love to see it come back to Watkins Glen. Hmm. Um, I I would like it there. The Boot the. Uh, I mean, they would have to bring the pit stalls back, but I think that would be very, very interesting. That um, you know, it's just the history there. Um, it, it was always popular. It would be very popular in this area. It would be a great boost to the economy. The you know after, after um, uh, COVID, um, you know the wine country you know in in central new york kind of hurt you know they were doing curbside a lot of places suffered a lot of places were closed they're just getting back into that and that would be huge considering fan you know you know the way things are have been going that would be really really huge um that would be the first thing the second I would say, and I'd love it, Road America. Mm -hmm. That would be amazing. Seeing those cars take the carousel, another big booming business idea. So those are the two tracks I'd like to see it at.
1: Um, David, I'm I'm with you completely on on both, um, in particular, Road America. Um, I think Watkins Glen would be poetic justice um, to see them return to that track as well. Um, but seeing them uh, run a four-mile-long natural road course um, uh, in the heart of the Midwest, I think that would I think that would be a beautiful thing. Now, with that said, there are some really sharp turns on that track and some really long straightaways so would it necessarily work i don't know with that said i have two that um that i think may also be um quite um quite interesting for the formula one cars to run the first one barber motorsports park in alabama that is a technical track um it's but at the same time it's nice and sweeping it's a perfect road course, I think, for Formula One. Um and in the heart of Alabama, in the heart of the Southeast, I think that would be a terrific market um for Formula One to break into, especially in advance of their street race in Miami in the coming years, as well as Nashville. I think that would be a great thing. And that leads me to my second choice. And this is kind of getting a little bit out there. This is a this is a um this would be an interesting one if it did, but hear me out. The road course at Daytona. How hmm. iconic would it be for Formula One to run a race at the World Center of Racing in Daytona Daytona Beach,
2: Florida? Oh, that would be a
1: beautiful kind thing, of, sir.
2: Kind of Mazda-ish when they had that high bank turn.
1: Yep. Ooh. Yep. Um, I think it would you know and yeah the, you know the, you have some some considerations to make with the banking and all that um, and you know how the the cars would be able to handle those kind of loads um, but with that said I think if they um, if they could I think that would be an absolute you know one of the most iconic things ever would be to see formula one run at Daytona
2: that would be insane.
0: Yeah. Ryan? Well, gentlemen, you suggest the kind of race courses that make my racing fan heart smile. <laughs> but but I have my own thoughts on this. Do tell. Now, you guys have mentioned a couple of them that I would have mentioned, so no point in bearing repeating that because I think those courses t- tend to speak for themselves. But imagine this if you would. A Formula 1 race. And recently this course showed that they have no problem packing the stands again at the road course at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Tell me that wouldn't make you smile.
2: I think that would be I think that would be interesting because you've got Penske running the show now and I think he would know what to do to make it right. I think, you know, him
0: packing the stands for the Indy 500 show like, yeah, he's got no problem filling that stadium up
1: again. I like the idea. Uh, the only thing that would need to happen is you would need to bring those cars over here um, to do a test first. Uh, yeah. So that way they the tire manufacturers, everybody involved would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the tires will hold up, the cars will hold up um and it'll be it'll be a great race um because i think after what happened in uh, i think it was 2005 or 06 somewhere in there yeah um it left such a rotten taste in so many people's mouths um and they're still trying to bounce back from that
2: but but again you have different ownership so i could i mean yeah i could see i i could see that um yeah, you gotta get past that Ron taste, but yeah, I, I definitely could see it. This yep. would be
0: an ideal time to mend that bridge.
2: Yes, it would. Yes, and you got a facility that I mean, you could you you could definitely do it at. Um, I I just yeah, I think you gotta see how that plays out, and you've got the garages there all set.
1: That is very true, too. So I guess that's kind of the takeaway from our our thoughts about this is, you know, some of our our picks for where would be a good second uh, venue for Formula One to come back would be places that they have uh, they have run before and where there have been a lot of memories made. So just like old times, Watkins Mm -hmm. Glen, Indianapolis, just like old times. Here's hoping, right? Absolutely. Got to hope that mad hope. Very good. Well, in the meantime, it's time to go racing. So um, with that, this has been episode number 20 of From Checker to Green. Thank you all very much for listening. This is Elliot Tardiff saying we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you so much.
2: This is David Moy. Thank you for listening and enjoy the road course racing this weekend.
0: This is Ryan Kolpak. We appreciate everyone that listens to our show. Thank you all very much. We'll see you on the next round. Thanks for listening to the Checker to Green Podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook group, Checkered to Green Podcast. Tune in next time for more insight into the racing business with the Checker to Green Podcast.